Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance program uh, podcast even i've done that wrong i'm gonna start again um good morning and welcome to the leadership and insurance podcast i'm your host alex bonds and i'm very lucky today to be joined by alex who is ceo of boost insurance uh good morning alex how are you i'm great thanks for having me good um well i i hear you've got a very busy and full packed house uh you've brought all the remote workers in but before we dive into that because i've got uh, i've got a question about that is um perhaps you'd be kind enough to introduce uh, the boost insurance business and what it is that you guys do sure yeah so uh boost provides what we call infrastructure as a service uh, for any company that wants to offer you know digital insurance products to their end users so mm-hmm. what that really means is that we work with a lot of insure tech startups or embedded channel partners uh, that are interested in a more technology-enabled, you know, insurance partner to sit behind them. Um, they integrate with our API to access our policy administration system and our insurance products. We provide all of the paper, the capacity, the claims and operational uh, infrastructure that one needs uh, to get to market in in the insurance industry. So um, it, we found we were founded about five years ago now today, um, while I was still sitting in my old seat as a venture capital investor. Um, mm-hmm. Doing nothing but investing in fintech and insure tech companies for the better part of the decade before this. So I'm excited to be, you know, an operator of my own right now, and and really working really closely with other insure tech entrepreneurs every day. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome. Um, I, I've got to ask you, and this is, I, I kind of get i've sent you some questions which, which this comes up later but you know I, the first question in i'm already jumping away with it with the schedule i just got to ask you like you're sitting there in venture you invest in, in in fintech you know more generally um i know that you had some exposure to some investments in in insure tech prior because you invest we invest in a snap sheet weren't you um yeah was, i was yeah yep. we, uh, we led their series c back in 2017 i think yeah yeah and um but sort of why insure tech you know like there's there's so many opportunities in the broad fintech space yeah. um what, what why was it this one that drew you in yeah nobody ends up in insurance on purpose right that's that's the uh that's <laughs> yeah, the yeah myself included so um so i started as a as a vc at a firm here in new york called ia capital group um which is quietly one of the oldest you know really financial services focused venture capital firms out there 
Um, and then we, I started late 2008, early 2009, which was obviously a really good time to be getting started in, you know, fintech focused VC, right? So on the heels, on the heels of the financial crisis, you had, uh, you know, about a lot of really smart entrepreneurs really disrupting the banking space for the first time you know, in a long time. So I kind of fell into it. I didn't really seek fintech out or seek venture capital out all that much, but I got really lucky and I fell into the right place at the right time and fell in love with it, really honestly. It was, it was really exciting, fantastic industry to be getting started in. So by nature of that, I, I was doing a lot of work in payments, especially finance and lending. So some of these peer-to-peer marketplace lenders, really like neo-banking before that was really kind of a buzzword or a hashtag, right? Sure. Um, but really the DNA of the firm that I worked for was always insurance. It was just by nature of where the partners that started the firm that I worked for you know, came from. They're all private equity investors, bankers and operators from the insurance industry uh, prior to founding IA Capital. Um, so I'd be doing all this like fun FinTech stuff early on in my career and I'd get you know, tapped on my shoulder uh, by one of the partners uh, and they had found this you know, private placement life insurance company in Bermuda, or we were starting a, a brick and mortar homeowners insurance carrier down in Texas. So I would, I would say, wow, that sounds really boring. And I was right. Um, but you know, when you're uh, the junior guy at a, at a, at a venture and investment firm, you have to, you have to help the partners out with the deal. So we would do these like traditional insurance related investments, kind of as sidecars outside of our core, you know, FinTech funds. And mm. I kind of got forced to learn the industry kind of kicking and screaming. Um, and then when you fast forward to, around 2015 or so, that's when we, we, we saw the first signs of, you know, insure tech coming to the surface. And we thought we were uniquely positioned as a venture capital firm who knew, you know, the fundamentals of insurance, really kind of knew where the bodies were buried to deploy mm-hmm. earlier stage, you know, capital in that, in that sector. So um, in the irony of all ironies, I was tagged to lead the early stage insure tech practice, you know, at IA. So this segment that I kept trying to run away from, I kept just getting pulled right back in. Um, and that's when I got started really to appreciate the applications that technology can have in the space, much like it, it did, uh, you know, previously in, in other sectors of, of fintech. So that's really kind of like how I got started in, in InsurTech. And again, I, I, I was excited because there were, again, smart entrepreneurs coming from both within the insurance industry and outside the insurance industry that were really, you know, trying to disrupt the, set, uh, the sector uh, in a major way. So it was just a lot of the common themes. It was just a different sector. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I totally understand that. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. I, I, there's so many smart, brilliant people working in insurance that that, that I, I think still slightly hate the fact that they work in the sector, but they enjoy it. That's the thing. There's, it's, it, yeah. it's a nice community. It's got it's got good people in it, um, and and there's a lot happening right now. So um, if if it was boring, it certainly isn't now. Um, and before anyone shoots me, I'm not calling it boring. I'm just saying uh, it can be. Uh, as, 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 <laughs> it as, definitely as, can be. Let's be honest. And, 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 and so can any job. I'm sure. I'm Sure. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about embedded insurance. Um, it's been a theme. Um, you know, I, I'm getting very close to calling this the embedded insurance podcast um, because we discuss it so much. But um, you offer both kind of this and the kind of the opportunity for your customers to operate with their insurance as their core product. Yep. Um, I wanted to know because you offer kind of like both sides of it, um, you might have a unique take on. Um, the sort of demand and need, but where have, where have you had your most success with boost insurance? Is it in the embedded space or is it in people who are operating insurance as their core offering? Yeah, embedded is so hot right now. It's like yeah. Zoolander, right? I mean, it's just everywhere. You can't skip the buzzword. <laughs> but, uh, but, but honestly, it, we, I don't even consider Boost to really just be an embedded insurance platform, right? We no. are infrastructure as a service. Like you said, we focus on both companies that are focused on insurance as their core business and others from you know adjacent industries that want to build a meaningful vertical 
in the space, mm. right? So mm. um, what we built, what the go-to-market for Boost back in like 2017 and even before that uh, with the business planning was always to address that early stage or pre-launch insurtech startup first, uh, because that is who is really suffering from these enormous barriers to entry in our industry, right? It's like they were the ones that are actively trying to get into the market and struggling to do so. We saw it time and time and time again with even just like very basic kind of distribution models uh, mm -hmm. with insurtech startups, right? It was just they're really struggling to get to uh, get to market. So um, we wanted to really address that market first, but we already knew that this embedded finance thing was going to catch up to insurance already. And we had we had seen it previously uh, in other investments that we made in fintech. So, um, for example, we we led the Series C in a company called Marketa um, mm -hmm. back in like 2015, and really that was one of the core inspirations for Boost, where they were enabling uh, companies to issue payment cards to their end users and white label them and really uh, just do so in a far more efficient way. They opened up their APIs, they built a core processor and put together all that kind of compliance infrastructure that you need to be able to issue debit or credit cards to your users, right? So uh, what, when we invested in that company, we, know, we, we noticed that something that was not surprising but was still exciting was that all the fintechs were plugging into use Marketa as their you know, core processor, right? That, that just made sense. Like obviously any fintech would want to work with the most technology enabled processor behind them, right? Um, but what we found really interesting and very surprising and very exciting was that companies from completely outside of FinTech were plugging into Marketo to do the exact same things. These were companies like Instacart, DoorDash, Uber even, uh, that, were, that were plugging to issue cards. So they were configuring financial products and then issuing them alongside a core offering, a core product uh, that had nothing to do with financial services, right? So. That really ended up becoming like embedded fin, embedded finance or embedded fintech, you know, way before that was even a, buzz, a buzzword or a hashtag, right? So that we knew that trend was eventually going to catch up. We we see that insurance is typically like five, sometimes even ten years behind other segments of financial services in terms of adopting innovation and technology, right? Mm. Um, so when we built Boost, we knew that insurtech startups were the right way to address the market first um, and build a platform with fellow fellow entrepreneurs, fellow innovators. You know, that really wanted to push the envelope in the industry, move fast break stuff and, and, and do things new and different. Right. And then as we and we, we also know that 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 segment was going to be you know, pretty demanding. Right. These are companies that are building a core business. They know what they're doing. They're going to demand that our platform perform at their level. Right. So whatever we built for that insure tech seg, uh, segment was going to be more than enough for the embedded channel when that market was ready. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, when you look at it, now, it's like a, a few years later, and again, you're seeing that trend prove out, right? Where embedded finance is catching up to, to insurance and you're seeing this huge boom in, in embedded in embedded insurance. But what I'll say is that that market is still very nascent, in my opinion, right? It is something that still has a whole lot of room to grow. Um, and we're just in like the first early innings you know, of mm -hmm. the embedded finance you know, revolution. So I would say to date, we have had more success in the insure tech sector because that's what we addressed first. And those programs and partners have had much more time to mature on our platform. But in the last 18 months alone, we've seen this huge uptick in demand from the embedded channel. They're actually finding boost, you know, to plug in and identifying the opportunity themselves. So in addition yeah. to us investing more in sales and marketing and doing things like that, um, we're seeing a whole lot of inbound, um, you know, inquiries, you know, from embedded channel partners, both large and small. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think Embed is just such an interesting space because really the limitations are almost like your creativity about where you're going to where you can put that. Because I, I, I we had a penny on um, an embedded uh, solution from uh, from Europe, and and one of their most successful things was was not 
I thought it was always at the point to sell that that was in my mindset I was kind of like limiting myself and he's like no there was an article about I think about a car and then and then it was kind of there was an embedded uh, offering via that and 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 they'd um and that had been successful so yeah it seems like that that's there's a lot of road to run there but um it's it's, it's a really good point making it fit for purpose for these kind of experienced operators that know what they're doing and they're coming to you um essentially for that infrastructure as a service as, as you as, as you define it um if it's bulletproof for them, then it's gonna it's gonna be fit for purpose for people that are. It, it's a non-core offering, um, but that that's why I was so interested because you've got sort of a unique insight because you're playing. You know, you can operate on both sides of the coin. Whereas most people are coming with embedded. We're having these conversations, and I'm saying, what do you think about embedded? And and it, it's a it's a moot point. I mean, they're not gonna uh, they're not gonna shoot it down and say it's limited because because they don't offer anything else. Right. So it's great to get both sides of of that opinion. Yeah, I think it's limitless, to be honest with you. I mean, one of those things where you have that kind of like age old debate of like, is the broker going extinct? No, it's not. And and I think like, you know, brokers and agents will always exist in this industry, especially in like the more complex lines of business, like like complex commercial lines, even some of the homeowners insurance policies or life insurance policies. I mean, they want to talk to humans and understand it. No one's going to be able to like create the perfect user experience that it's just going to make insurance all of a sudden simple overnight, right? So mm-hmm. my, my, my theory is basically like, yeah, insurance and agents, uh, insurance brokers and agents are always going to exist. They might just work at different companies, right? They might mm-hmm. work at Uber. They might work at Airbnb. They might, they might work at just in-house insurance agencies within these companies, right? Um, so it doesn't have to be these big brokers that are with, you know, kind of TV commercial brand insurance companies, right? So mm-hmm. um, that, that's really my, my thesis on this where, Embedded can be applied in, in a lot of different verticals um, and a lot of different industries. And th- that, that doesn't mean that brokers and agents are just going to go extinct. They might just go work at those embedded companies instead. Mm, yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's distributing insurance as an industry um, yeah. in an embedded way and not in the limitations of just where you can buy it, but where those people work it makes perfect sense to me. Um, I want to talk about some of you. You've got some core insurance products, uh, management liability, renters, et cetera. Um, and then you've also got this, um, this is off your website, create your own. Um, I wanted to kind of understand what the limitations are on your capacity. Uh, could, 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 is it very broad? Could we be really creative? Um, and then as a follow-up, um, you know, have you been asked to create anything unusual or particularly innovative that you've, you've seen? <laughs> Oh my God, I'm gonna have to bite my tongue on some of those things. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So first of all, yeah, you're, you're describing when you, when we talk about building your own internally, we have two different approaches to program development. Really it's mm. uh, one is bottoms up and the other is top down. So bottoms up is build your own, right? So that's, that's when we, we get inquiries all the time, like constantly from insure tech founders um, and other companies from the embedded channel uh, that want to do something in the insurance space, right? And sometimes they're straight down the middle. It's just like, I, I just want to do renter's insurance or pet insurance or something. And other times it is a little, you know, off the beaten path, right? Um, yeah. But Boost was built on like one of the core pillars of of our of Boost ethos here is basically product innovation, right? So we always, we want to, we want to welcome all ideas and we'll never just dismiss them outright. We'll spend the time to really um, you know, at least see if it's possible. Um, and we've done that a number of times now at this point where we've we've launched products in, in the market very quickly, number one, but also that have never existed before, uh, you know, in the industry. And and it's one of those things we want to we want to be a you know platform for innovation for other companies as well. And that really requires first and foremost having capital providers behind you that are willing to be first 
in a market that does not like to be first, right? So mm. our reinsurance partners that we work with, our front-end carrier partners, they're incredibly supportive and give Boost a lot of autonomy uh, to be able to do things that are new and different and test them in the marketplace first. So um, the bottoms-up approach is basically we get pitched on, an, on a concept. If we believe in the, in, in the opportunity, then we will do the work uh, in-house to really help them you know, get to market with their products. So um, one, that, one recent example of that is actually a, a crypto wallet insurance product that we just launched uh, about a month ago. So uh, that is a that is the first ever uh, direct consumer crypto wallet insurance product for the retail uh, crypto investor. So this is not institutional grade. It's not cold wallet storage. This is like real hot wallet storage, uh, hot wallet uh, crypto insurance for you know the everyday investor. Right. Um, that took us the better part of like a year and a half, maybe even two years, to really build um, from an insurance product perspective and get it live in, in the marketplace, you know, about mm. did that in collaboration uh, with a crypto focused insure tech startup that, that really wanted to get to market uh, with a similar type of product. So we just collaborated with a subject matter expert. Um, we have our own subject matter experts internally here and we built that product, you know, from scratch, soup to nuts and got it to market uh, about a month ago. So wow. that's a weird one. That's a weird one, but we really think it's not all that weird. It's just a new asset class um, mm. people need insurance against against risk, right? Um, mm. We have others that we have not supported. We don't support everything that that, that comes in our door, but maybe I'll, uh, I'll let those remain nameless for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to shame the bad ideas out there. Um, yeah. That's really interesting and, and, and not wanted to make this a crypto podcast, but um, there's plenty of them. It's yeah. really interesting, the idea of, of, of crypto wallet insurance, um, just because I'm thinking more about the the consumer, not the consumers, but the investors in or the early adopters of crypto and their approach to risk. So I'm really intrigued as to how that will take off because you've got kind of people that are probably very comfortable with a really large variance of risk. Um, but then with anything that becomes kind of more valuable, your your approach to risk uh, sort of tends to mature yeah. um, and you well, can assure it. Yeah, so this is another thing that you'd be really surprised. Um, the mm. crypto world, right, is is extremely, extremely smart. These are not just, again, these are not like fly-by-night people that just like throw money at nothing, right? I mean, they're mm. they're very well, they're well-educated. They, they're very smart, they're very technical. And the risk that we're insuring on that product is not the fluctuation in price, right? No. It is, we're, we're insuring against the risk of theft, which means that it's got like almost like a cyber risk peril attached mm -hmm. to it that you're insuring mm -hmm. against. And that's something that is definitely top of mind in the crypto world, right? They they're, they're they have an extremely high risk appetite when it comes to you know the fluctuations in, in the value of whatever the crypto is that they're investing in. But they're intimately aware of the fact that one of those exchanges, one of those custodians, could get hacked one day, and no fault of their own, their 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 uh, their coin could just disappear one day. So sure. that's something that's top of mind, and we're seeing a lot of early early engagement with that product from from the crypto world. It must be really hard to price, I would imagine. Um, that's, yeah. that's quite, yeah. That would, yeah. That, Difficult. Quite, yeah. As, as with anything related to anything sort of crypto, cyber, put it in that, you know, sort of cyber perils. Um, it's such an evolving marketplace. Um, uh, but then does that, that sort of leads itself into offerings like yours, you know, dynamic platforms where you can make changes quickly um, in the same way that traditional carriers have, often been said to not be able to do. Um, you know, you can have more dynamic pricing, one would assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we, we, we touched on team there. Um, yeah, 
I kind of wanted to know what the team was like. What's the make of the team? Um, you, you obviously, is it? I think you mentioned four. Is it nearly five years the business has been sort of in existence? Yep. Um, uh, so, talk to me about the founding team. How did you? How did you come together? And then I kind of want to talk about how that's grown because you, you've gone through this really unusual period in the last couple of years that everyone's gone through. But I think, yeah, particularly earlier stage businesses growing and then trying to work with external partners um you know enterprise technology there's so much going on there that you sort of require those relationships to be built when they've been built over that period of time but how did the founding team get together did you all know each other from the off were, were you all kind of you know, friends colleagues from the past yeah so the team currently today is a, a, an amazing mix of both insurance tech and kind of startup and growth focused uh, you know, individuals, and they're all deeply uh, experienced folks from, from all sides of the world, right? And we're, we're basically militant in terms of making sure that everybody is super collaborative, working together, and you're, you're, it, it takes a lot of work, right? I mean, honestly, you have to really invest in, and focus on it um, to ensure that that culture stays the same as you grow, um, because you, again, you're taking people from different, not only different industries, honestly, sometimes they're almost like different species, right? If you, mm. if you spent your entire career working at like large, bureaucratic insurance companies coming into a startup right out of the gate is, is, is a big adjustment, right? Um, but I think we've done a really good job with that. I mean, we have, our, all of our teams are working in sprints like engineers do, including our insurance team. Um, it's pretty fantastic to watch. So you have a team of under, underwriters, actuaries, you know, coverage attorneys and, and things like that that are, that are working in lockstep with like engineers, developers, product people. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome to watch. So that's, that's part of the reason why uh, in the early days, again, no, kind of knowing where the bodies were buried in this industry, I didn't want to make sure I didn't I wanted to make sure that we didn't sacrifice on any of those kind of core pillars that we needed to get to market and run a, a sound insurance operation, right? So mm. when we when I when I uh, closed the seed round of financing back in like 2017, it, it was still just me in a PowerPoint presentation at that point. So we I had to go build for about a year, year and a half, and the first and most important thing. Uh, to build was that that early team right so step one was finding a cto i don't know how to code um there's no chance i'll be able to build any of this stuff and i wanted to make sure that we were building it in-house first so we uh i hired a cto by the name of uh, chris batoni um, who comes from the insure tech world actually he experienced that problem firsthand that we were trying to solve for from an insure tech perspective where he was forced to integrate with uh 15 different insurance carrier systems as an insure tech uh, mm -hmm. for about a, five years before he uh, he joined Boost. So he was going to build a platform inside out to make sure that no developer, no engineer ever had to experience that problem from uh, from the get-go, right? But then the other thing that we knew was critically important uh, that to build alongside the technology was the insurance infrastructure, right? Um, we wanted to make sure that we had the pen and that we could actually create insurance products ourselves and not just take the system that we've built and integrate it with you know nationwide or all state or state farm right it was like we needed to be able to make these innovative products ourselves and do so very efficiently however mm. when we went to market we, we we started pitching the reinsurance market right out of the gate and it was me asking a bunch of reinsurers to basically have a blank check on their balance sheet and they were like no thank you sir like you, <laughs> you don't even know how to spell underwriting right so i was like that's fair uh, so, so the next the next key employee that we hired was our first chief insurance officer a woman by the name of uh of julie galante who uh, was previously the field underwriting officer at a company called pure uh, insurance so mm -hmm. honestly you need both right you need to have that the, the grown-ups in a room on the technology side and the grown-ups in a room on the insurance and underwriting side if you really want to build 
uh, you know, a true, you know, sustainable business in this industry. So that's really, we built off that core. Yeah, I came from the startup and, and uh, VC world. Uh, Chris came from the technology world and was deeply experienced there. And Julie came from uh, the insurance industry and was deeply, uh, deeply experienced in the underwriting space. So with those mm. three pillars, we went to market that way. Mm. With my uh, recruitment hat on, um, how, how did you find those people from a practical sense? Were they, were they referred to by people you knew? Did you, did you use recruitment companies or, or how did you come, come into sort of meeting with those guys? With that, it was most, it, that was purely organic. So mm -hmm. that was basically going out there, recruiting, you know, plugging into your network um, and, and seeing what was out there, right? It took a very, very long time to make both, both of those yep. initial hires. And we still take a very long time to hire across the entire company, to be honest with you. We sure. really hire slow. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, we're really, really selective um, in, in who joins the team. And then two, because of what we do, the, the top of our funnel is always kind of super narrow. And I think you'll appreciate this as a recruiter. We, we work with a, a lot of recruiters now because you know we, we can't possibly hire at the rate internally that we need to. But the top of the funnel is still very, very narrow all the time because you have on the engineering side, for example, you're fighting against the stigma of having insurance in your name, right? It's not like the sexiest you know, industry in the world, obviously. Sure. Uh, so en engineers that are you know, choosing between you know, Amazon or Tesla and Boost Insurance, obviously, you're fighting an uphill battle right out of the gate on that, right? Mm. Uh, but once they get in the funnel, we convert at a pretty high rate because you're only attracting, you know, engineers that want to solve big problems. And then on yep. the insurance side, you're only attracting insurance professionals that want to challenge the status quo, right? So the, the top of our funnel is always fairly narrow, but it converts at a, at a pretty high clip once you uh, once you get them in there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I, and, and that that's quite refreshing to hear, actually. I, th I, think, I think not enough people. And I think, do you think your tolerance of having a, a slower but more efficient uh, recruitment model do you think that comes from your investing the background and watching it happen because one of the things that i tend to find is that people think it's going to be a quick process and like yeah. we'd all love it to be and sometimes it is sometimes recruitment is very fast it's brilliant but actually if you really want to build a culture and you want to build the right team um you either have to constantly be recruiting and that's i think you should be doing that constantly reaching out building new networks but but also um it, it takes a long time because it's yeah. got, you've got to run a process. So, so do you think that's, that's some of your investing background has, has helped there? Yeah, it, a little bit, I would say, because you kind of know some cautionary tales and they're always yeah. on, on your mind, right? I even see it's, I mean, it's, it's happening all around us in InsurTech right now we, and in FinTech. Let's not even like pretend that that, you know, elephant's not in the room, right? People mm. are, there are companies that are at our stage that have like 100, 200, 400 employees. I mean, that to me is, insane and would mm -hmm. also make make sure that i go from having like two hours of sleep a night to zero because it would it would terrify me to be honest with you yeah so, yeah 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 one it was one of those things where you when you start you go from the investor side to the operator side and most importantly you go from being an employee to an employer you you better respect the fact that the people you're hiring are human beings and that mm -hmm. if you're just going to grow at all costs it's it's going to catch up to you eventually and then you have to scale back and i i like refuse to put our company in a position where we're looking down the barrel of layoffs and things like that. So it's been a lot, there are a lot of reasons. One, don't waste money and don't just hire for the sake of hiring. You hire either right ahead of growth or right behind growth. Um, and then and then two, make sure that you're you know, maintaining some empathy for the folks that work for you. Um, so you never find yourself in a position where you're scaling back instead of scaling up. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's a sage advice. And um, you've certainly seen some pretty dramatic, um, particularly in the US, um, scaling downs that have not been handled very well. So uh, no one wants to be put in that position. So, yeah, um, yeah no, I, no, I, I, it, it frightens me how much I see people grow. And, and there seems to be no infrastructure is the other thing, like to, 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 on how to grow and how to handle people. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about investors and being careful with investors' money. And, and, and one of the things that I always say to some, my, some of my clients is that, you're asking people to invest their most precious resource, which is their time in, in you. So why you would treat them any differently to how you treat the external investors. And by that, I mean, just like honesty and transparency with like the runway and, 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 you know, identifying where the gaps are and what you've got internally and saying what you're going to do about them is stuff that you would expect to tell your kind of investment board or whatever, but, but people kind of are slightly less forthcoming with it, with, with their teams. So uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in kind of taking that approach. So um, really interesting to hear that. Um, you know, you seem to have got um, sort of culture, right? We mentioned off air uh, that, um, uh, you've got all the team. Is it all the team in the office at the moment? And we're, and some people have been remote. Um, no, we're we're kind of all over the place now. Um, in this day and age, you have to yeah. be. And I'm kind of I'm kind of happy about it. I would say pre-pandemic, I was definitely on the more extreme end of the being in the office spectrum, um, which yeah. is a little yeah. archaic of me as a as an innovator. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it was, yeah. everyone's kind of got forced into this, right? And I I've embraced. It. I think you know productivity you know ticked up during the pandemic, uh, like across the board. I would say. Um, the one thing, only thing I found pretty exhausting about it was that it's so hard to maintain company culture when you're when you are remote. So we mm. do we do like to make make sure that folks are in the office um, at least periodically throughout the year, so that they everyone has the opportunity to bond in person and not do it sure. via you know virtual happy hour all the time. You know, so mm. I still think that's critically important. I would say the majority of our of our team is uh, at least locally based in the New York City area, um, but we do have remote employees all over the place now. Yeah. 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 I'm seeing a lot more of that. Um, you know, you kind of need to offer remote because again, if you're going to have the best talent, um, if you're saying we've got the best engineers, well, all the best engineers will not just happen to be in the New York area and they will not necessarily want to go and live there, um, uh, particularly on the engineering side. But, um, but I do think a lot more hybrid models now. Um, cause I, I also think people want to be in the office, but they want to decide when that might be and yeah. how frequently that might be. So yep. yeah, um, I'm with you. I was a bit more archaic. Um, uh, I agree with you. But, but I think, like, we're not, we're not like actively looking for New York employees, like specifically no. it's one of those things where just like, I think it just happens because people want that optionality, right? Like, I think they do. Yeah. want to be able to go to an office if they want to, even if they're not you know, forced to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I was talking to someone earlier today. There's so many reasons, you know, you've got younger people who live in like shared accommodation and they haven't really got the, the setup. You've got people that have got children that just need a break from being in, in an environment with loads of kids. And you've got, yeah. you got, got just a sense of camaraderie um, as well. So there's, there's so many reasons, um, and that's just three off the top of my head. But, um, you know, I, I think offering hybrid is, 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 is clearly the right way. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about your, your partners. Um, so obviously the, the, the business um, is important to have the right partners in your business particularly. You've got some very large partners um, what do you think it is specifically about your solution that has attracted such like marquee names to, to your offering? Yeah, on, on which side of the marketplace? Because you have on the back end, we have all of our global reinsurance companies, fronting carriers and things of that nature. And on the front, we have distribution partners. So yeah, of uh, course. I, I can address both. I think on the back end, 
um, with our reinsurance partners. We work with a number of them now, but really a couple of core groups. Renaissance Re is a fantastic partner of ours uh, at this point. Nafila was an early investor uh, in the business as well. Those are just you know risk capital providers that are very forward thinking, which is a lot harder to find in this industry than you would think, right? Um, the, I think the value proposition we offer them uh, is the fact that we're giving them you know, almost like arm's length access to innovation that's happening, you know, across their industry, right? They can focus on their, they have bigger fish to fry, right? These are companies that are huge, massive balance sheets. They need to be doing, uh, you know, spending all of their time on those, those uh, that core business of theirs though. But they're not in denial of the fact that there is innovation and disruption happening in front of them. Um, mm. But it's not, that's not their core business, right? So we're mm. almost like, call it like outsourced innovation for them, right? Where we can handle them, we can manage them. We have professionals that they trust and respect to oversee the programs and make sure that they're compliant and being underwritten appropriately. So we're, we're basically almost like an aggregator and a curator of innovation that's happening in front of us, right? And it gives them that arm's length access you know, that they need. So that's really, I think what they appreciate and what it attracts them to our platform, which is fantastic. And we're always adding you know, more reinsurance partners every day. Um, so to the extent that others want to plug in, they can plug in alongside this amazing core group that's, fo that's forming behind us, right? Um. And then on the front end with distribution, the, again, we, we address that kind of like pre-launch early stage insurtech startup first, and we wanted to like move, move up that insurtech value chain as quickly as possible. So we gradually moved it from like pre-launch and early stage insurtech clients to growth stage, to really like enterprise level customers that have already done this themselves, right? I mean, we had this, this constant question of like, when do people graduate off the Boost platform um, once they've like kind of matured and proven their their uh, their concept out, and my my response is always like, why why would you do that? Like we've mm. we've already done this this for you, right? We're already managing like the guts and the back end operation. It's like all the picks and shovels that nobody actually wants to be managing themselves anyway. And further, we've delegated you know full MGA authority to our partners. They they have a huge input in what how we modify our products over time, pricing and underwriting and things of that nature. And we just let them operate. We don't interfere with their day-to-day -day operation at all. So um, my response to that has always been like, why would you ever like move off of AWS and build your own server farm just because your company and your business got bigger, right? Um, you would still stay in the cloud and just plug into AWS as opposed to doing that yourself anyway. So we had to prove that over time. And I think really it's like now the kind of enterprise level customers that are plugging into us, um, especially the ones that have, have uh, been in the industry for a long time, they just know better that it, it's not fun to build this yourself. And if this yeah. option existed when they went to market, hey, maybe they would have used us from the start. So they're plugging into us to actually launch new lines of business alongside whatever they already built themselves uh, because they know that this is just a much more efficient and cost-effective way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that scalability is um, super interesting. Uh, um, uh, I can see why that leads into kind of the different scales and size of business partners that you've got. Um, I wanted to sort of switch gears slightly and ask you about your investment background. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, don't have to answer this, but I'm hoping you will. Uh, <laughs> I just wonder, what is get your take on the valuations we've seen in the insurtech space? Because we've seen, you know, some pretty dramatic falls in the largest insurtech stocks that were out there. Um, and and my, my question is really twofold. Like, do you think, do you think this like represents a correction? Have we seen some overvaluation? Um, and and what does this? And then this, the second part of that was to ask you what you thought thought this meant of sort of traditional insurance carriers. Are, are they undervalued businesses potentially? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think Boost is incredibly undervalued, and we are uh, <laughs> <laughs> a fair a fair response. A fair response. I had to, um, I had to, to look. I'll be honest. I can't deny the fact that things got a little crazy um, mm -hmm. in all across all fintech, and, and honestly, tech more broadly, right? I think in in, sure. in, in general has just gotten hammered in the public markets across the board. So it's not just insurtech. Insurtech is you know objectively one of the poor performers of all of fintech, but mm -hmm. uh, it is, it, it's, it's across the board. I think this is just a general market correction in, in, in addition to insure tech, people getting smarter on insure tech, right? So yeah. you see some of the earlier movers, none of which I'll name, but they, everyone kind of knows who they are. Well, you can't burn the candle at both ends forever, right? You got to start, you know, becoming more efficient as a business and respecting the things that create sustainable companies in this industry, such as underwriting, right? So hmm. you can't have both high CAC and high losses, right? You, you have hmm. to optimize on something over time. And I think honestly, some of the, some of the early movers in the insure tech industries took a long time, uh, took too long to, uh, to do that, right? Um, so the street is not gonna put up with that and they're gonna identify that really quickly. And then all of a sudden you're gonna find yourself being valued like a, a traditional insurance company. And, and that's hmm. not, good right you have to optimize on both if, if you had high losses still but really low cac maybe you can make that kind of efficiency play still in the public markets right but you can't have both and most of the kind of more uh prominent you know brands that are in the public markets now have, have both still um so i think there is a justifiable uh, correction that's taking place and again i'll spin this again back to boost and my our own experience here is basically we always valued the, we always knew that our B2B model was going to be a little bit more efficient on the customer acquisition side, right? That's uh -huh. the brand in front of us. That's what they do for a living. They're, they're always going to do it far better than we do. So that, that part we were never worried about. But the underwriting is key in this industry, right? You can get away with hemorrhaging losses for the first few years as a startup with a risk capacity provider that is already kind of probably like taking that risk into account before partnering with you in the first place, right? Yeah. But you got to start trending down. You got to start seeing a, your book of business age the way that it's supposed to in, in the industry or they're going to cut the nozzle off, right? So we, we actually took a really slow and deliberate path to the market to make sure that we were prioritizing underwriting above all else. And we terminated programs and partners that weren't respecting the underwriting, weren't respecting the compliance because we knew that us being a platform with capital providers that sit behind our marketplace, we, we needed to, to make sure that, that we're building a sustainable business. So I think what you're seeing is D2C companies that are not optimizing on customer acquisition in addition to uh, not performing well in the underwriting, it's the worst of all worlds. So that correction, I feel like is justified, but um, I think the cream will rise uh, to the top on, on the industry as a whole. And those companies that are respecting the underwrite and are actually optimizing on customer acquisition will, will, uh, will pay off in a big way for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. That's a really like fair response, I think, as well uh, on 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 the on the state of the market. Because I, I I think anyone that knew about anything about insurance was sat there in kind of slight horror with it all. And and you know the other thing that, that, that to be clear and fair to those companies, um, and again not naming names like yourself, is that is that you know once it's in the public market, they they don't set the valuations of those companies. You know, people are buying and trading them at, at their leisure, um, and. That you know, so sometimes it's a bit unfair. It's, it's not like done anything unscrupulous, um, but it, it was just kind of sitting there looking at things from a kind of fundamentals perspective. Um, you know, insurance isn't Amazon. You 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 can't just scale and 
you know, I went from buying one thing a year on Amazon to probably buying one thing a month um, and including my partner, probably one thing every about three hours, I think. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's the same that loss. There's only one insurance policy I'm going to buy in my house. Once you've sold it to me, I'm, I'm you know, the, the, unless you're going to sell me alternative products and even then it's not going to be so much. So I think the, the, the term insure tech itself, I, I've always found a bit damaging and slightly misleading because you can include these big neo insurers in insure tech but they're still insurance companies. Yeah. They're not, they haven't, they might've created their own tech to, to, to do it. They may be tech first, they may be digitally native, but they are still a fundamental insurance carrier and therefore the fundamentals of insurance, uh, the insurance company apply. Um, yeah. I think where, where it's different and interesting and exciting is the, the SaaS driven stuff and whether that's a combination like yourself where you've got some capacity to offer um, and then you're offering enterprises to surface, that stuff is, yes, it's gonna make it more efficient and, and the smart money can go on creating really unique insurance products that can be offered at scale quickly where you can make some really, really good money. So I, I think we're starting to see a more mature, not just uh, industry within tech, but also we're seeing more mature businesses that know the fundamentals and they're operating within those. Whereas I think some of that early investment was just almost, let's, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say sort of blase, but, but to a certain extent kind of, almost didn't get the, the the fundamentals that were required to kind of drive a successful insurance play. Um, and, and, and they thought they didn't apply, but clearly they do. So, um, but no, thanks for, I really appreciate you uh, giving your uh, input that. And, 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 yeah. and sort of following that on, um, so you've been in the insure tech space, I was gonna say five years, but that's not fair because you're in the insure tech space before as an investor. Um, Definitely makes you a veteran. That's a hundred percent. I mean, I, I mean that the politest possible term, Alex. Um, um, but is there anything outside of a um, boost that um, you're really, you've been really interested in? Um, there's any either technology companies or, yeah. or businesses that you think are doing really interesting work right now? Yeah, I think you hit on a couple of them right there. Um, in, it, and a lot of it has to do with the embedded thesis. So mm. that, that, again, can mean a lot of different things, right? This doesn't just have to be that, you know, company from completely outside the insurance industry. I think sure. in order for insurtechs or really anybody that wants to be in a business of insurance to, to you know, kind of maintain, you have to retain your customers, right? And I think there's a lot of opportunity to like add adjacent products or services Either whether you're an insure tech startup or an embedded channel that already has one, right? So mm. it goes both ways, in my opinion. So I'll give you an example um, of think, something I'm, I'm just finding so fascinating and exciting uh, that's going on in the market. And a little biased because some of it has to do with what's going on at Boost. Um, but what's happening in the cyber insurance market right now is extremely exciting. It's it's absolutely terrifying every risk capital provider in, in the world right now, but I find it to be extremely exciting. So mm -hmm. uh, you have companies that are sitting out there that are, that are leading with security screening and monitoring tools and, and really deep cybersecurity uh, technology um, in front of the insurance, the insurance product and risk, right? I think that's, that's a perfect use case for embedded and, and you're seeing it across different channels, right? So you have, you have embedded, embedded channel partners, which are basically just cybersecurity software and security companies, right? They want to offer the insurance in the first place, but you have mm. a lot of insure techs out there. One of our partners in particular, we see a lot of them, uh, but one of our partners in particular is Cowbell Cyber, who I think you, you've spoken to in the past. What they're doing uh, in front of us in the, on the small business cybersecurity monitoring and protection side of things 
is really what's differentiating them in the marketplace right now and protecting the book of business that we manage together, you know, with them, right? Um, so I think that is one thing that I just find to be super fascinating, very topical, uh, considering the fact, considering what's happening in Ukraine right now, the increased uh-huh. risk of, of, you know, cybersecurity and hacks. Um, but that that's just one 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 specific trend that I'm, I'm really excited about right now. Yeah, no, no, I, I, likewise, I, I'm finding that space fascinating uh, to, to the point where I'm having to read up because <laughs> yeah. I thought it was I thought it was enough to know insurance and insure tech. But when you get into that world, you're like, well, where does that's where that's where insurance gets interesting. Like, where does it yeah. stop and start? And and I think the approach uh, some of particularly the cyber firms are um, are making where it's, you know, there's a there's a response as a as the risk carrier as well. So there's a proactive response, whether it be kind of cyber teams come and help your small business and and alongside the coverage. And and then we're seeing that model adopted by other businesses. So uh, counterpart insurance do management liability, and and they're almost taking the same ethos. It's that sort of proactive, helping you as a business prepare for the risk that we're insuring you for. So it's management liability, their space and cyber, we've seen it a lot. And, and, and those kind of more proactive models, I think are really, really interesting in the space. Um, uh, we haven't had cowboy cowbell on actually, Alex. So uh, you can give them a nudge if you know them well, but they are, uh, they are, they, we'll we, are in, we are in talks. We are in talks. So I'm hoping to get them on soon. Cause I think it's a fascinating Good. business, but, um, Good. um, but look, um, Alex, I, I, I won't overstay our welcome because the uh, uh, listeners won't allow it. Um, but thank you so much for being a guest. I really enjoyed that. Um, and um, look, if people want to reach out to you, where's the best way to contact you? Are you pretty active on LinkedIn? Is that is that a good way? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably your best bet, even though I embarrass a lot of response. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's very honest of you to say so. But Alex, yeah. thanks once again. This has been really good fun. So I uh, appreciate being a, a guest. Absolutely. On thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.